I've titled the message today, Faith. And uh, I, I mean, that's our series, Faith. And I've titled the message, Keeping the Faith. Look at Hebrews 11, verses 27 through 28. And the Bible says, by faith, no, uh, not Noah, uh, Moses, by faith, Moses, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And we preached on that passage last week. And in verse 28, and by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So, one verse talks about a very lengthy subject. So, as has been the way I've done it here in this series, I want us to read a little bit more about that. So, go with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 11. Uh, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 30. Now, in the first six verses, Moses is being told by God what he needs to do. And God is telling Moses, here's what's going to happen. Basically, the death angel is going to come. And he won't know who not to kill. And so he's coming for the firstborn of all humans and all animals. And so what I want you to do is I want you to choose a lamb, each home. And those who cannot, who maybe don't have the wherewithal to have a full lamb, they need to divide it up, neighbors with neighbors. And we want you to kill the lamb. And we want your families to eat the lamb. We want you to roast it that night. And God's given some very specific instructions on how they're to go about in taking care of sacrificing this lamb. And then he says here, we want you to take some of the blood and do something with it. Therein, the death angel will know not to bring death to your home. So I want you to look at verse 7, beginning in verse 7 here. And it says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and on the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made with, without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water but roasted over a fire. And i just just be honest with you, I don't know if this is the reason, but I can't stand meat that's boiled in water. But anyway, maybe it's biblical. <clears throat> it says here, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Now you're saying, why is this going to happen? Because if you study the, the chapters prior to this, God used Moses to go to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Let, Egypt, uh, let, let Israel go from Egypt. Let them go into the promised land. And Pharaoh refused, and so he had to go through all these plagues. The Bible talks about the plagues that, that um, Pharaoh had to go through. The plagues of the flies, the plague on live, livestock, the plague of the boils. And Pharaoh would still not let God's people go, so God hardened his heart. And then it says the plague of hail, and then the plague here on the firstborn. 
So Pharaoh wouldn't listen until death struck his home. So in verse 13, he says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your homes and houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, a sacred assembly, and on another one, um, the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. So in verse 17, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance from gener- for generations to come. Now look with me, jump with me to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on the sides of the door frames. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants and when you enter the land that the lord will give you as he promised observe this ceremony (coughs) excuse me and when your children ask you what does this ceremony mean to you then tell them it is the passover sacrifice to the lord who passed over the houses of the israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead wow what an awful story right but it has tremendous significance to our faith and today i hope to be able to help you understand it as god has helped me to understand it father i thank you for your word we thank you that in hebrews 11 the writer of hebrews mentioned moses and how he kept the passover and how he was faithful And how through that, even today, Jewish families celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover because of what you did thousands of years ago. Help us to see the significance to our lives today. And I pray it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there's a lot that we read there. And I want to help in the simplest ways that I can. To help you understand what took place there and how that connects to us today and what a, what a picture it is of Christ the sacrificial lamb of God so let me point this out to you I pointed this out last week as we're dealing with Moses and his life 
And we're talking about him keeping the faith. It says he kept the Passover in Hebrews chapter 11. Moses chose the imperishable, saw the invisible. We dealt with all of that in the last couple of messages. And he did the impossible. Now we're going to see that in the next few messages starting with today. He did the impossible. He was able to save Israel and to save their firstborn from the death angel that came because he obeyed the Lord. He did the impossible in leading millions of people out of slavery through the Red Sea into the wilderness, positioned them in a place to go into the promised land. He did the impossible. Millions of people, as we're going to learn, were fed day and night from something called manna from heaven on the ground. And I'm not going to spoil that, but you know how I feel about manna. It's the modern-day equivalent of Krispy Kreme donuts. It was a pastry, a flaky pastry that was found on the ground with the dew. As we go to sleep at night, every night, and we wake up in the morning, and the ground's all wet with dew. It didn't rain. Where does it come from? In the same way, Israel would wake up when they were in the wilderness, and there was food for them on the ground, just like the dew of the ground for us. So God did amazing things through Moses' life. Moses chose the imperishable, saw the invisible, and did the impossible. What I want to focus on today is the fact that Moses kept the faith. In verse 28, it says, By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood. And so I've titled the message today, Keeping the Faith. When you look at Moses' life, the first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the last 40 years, even though there were some challenges through that, and, and you can see he grew. And primarily you see how he grew. In the second 40 years, he grew when he was away from Egypt, when he was in Midian, when he was uh, in the desert. Nobody knew who he was. And that's where he grew working under his father-in-law. That's where he developed a family. That's where God spoke to him through the burning bush, which we're going to see in a few weeks. And then he came and he led God's people out of, out, of, out, of, out of Egypt, out of bondage. The most powerful man in the world couldn't even hold Israel in his grasp anymore, Pharaoh, because of what God did through Moses. So in other words, what we see in Moses is this. We see a man who had... An amazing start to his life. We see him make some serious mistakes. Not unlike many of us as Christians. We see him maybe enter a period of time where, you know, he wasn't known by a lot of people and his life seemed to be insignificant. But in the middle of all of that, he had a family and his life was growing and he was developing spiritually. spiritually. And then Toward the, the last third of his life, we see God using him in a mighty, mighty way with the wisdom that he had attained through all of his experiences in life. We see his faith growing from one third of his life to the next third of his life to the final third of his life. And that's the way faith ought to be in a Christian's life. It ought to grow from where it is. You ought to be a stronger Christian, a more mature Christian than you are when you first got saved, your life, you ought to be able to look back as you've lived a few years now 
and as you've lived as a Christian and be able to look back on some of your life and say, you know what, I see the hand of God in my life. And, 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 you're, and where you are now, you should not be at a point where you're ready to throw your hands up and give up and quit. But you should be growing closer to Him. In other words, keeping the faith. The natural progression for a Christian and for a child of God is not to quit and give up. It's to continue to grow and get stronger. The enemy is the one who comes and wants to cut you know, our legs off at the knees and keep us from growing in God and keep us from being what God wants us to be. He throws division at us. He throws um, discouragement at us. He wants to get you to get your eyes off of Christ and get it on your circumstances and not finish the race. Last week I was able to attend the celebration of life service for Pastor Bowles. 107 years he lived on this earth. He was the pastor of this church around 70 years ago on two occasions. Under his leadership, the church built their first permanent building here. <clears throat> and we are who we are today because of him and others who came before him. And one of the things that we saw about Pastor Bowles' life was that there was a progression over time. And he kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, for his 75th anniversary here at Jonesville Baptist Church, his 75th ministry anniversary, we had him here. We had over 600-something people packed into this place, and Brother Bowles was preaching. And even then, he would, cl- he would bring his Bible with him to the podium. He would close it, and he would read an entire chapter of Scripture with his eyes closed, he would ask us to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. He would close his eyes because he had committed it to memory and his faith was so strong and he was growing so much. Even in his latter years that he could retain the Scripture. He would never open his Bible. He didn't have to open it because it was in his heart and mind. And we see right before us the natural progression of how we ought to live our lives and not give up and not quit and be strong throughout the years. So how can you live your life in such a way that you keep the faith, you stay strong, and you get better over time in your walk with Christ? All right, here are three things I want you to see through Moses' life. Number one, keeping the faith. The one who's keeping the faith realizes that it is a lifetime of obedience to the Word of God. The key words there, lifetime, obedience, Word of God. It is a lifetime of obedience to the Word of God. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood. Notice what it says here in chapter 12, verse 24 of Exodus. It says here that obey these instructions, he says. Obey them. Because he did exactly as he was instructed by God. Moses developed a pattern in his life. And it was a pattern of obedience to God. A pattern of obedience to the Word of God. Now we have something that Moses didn't have. As a matter of fact, God used Moses to pen the Pentateuch. Anybody know what the Pentateuch is or the Torah? Anybody know? The first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. So the Word of God had not been even penned yet, but Moses was being faithful to the Word of God. 
Moses is the one who had received the Ten Commandments that we're going to see later on. And how he remained faithful to God as God spoke to him over his lifetime. Now, he made some mistakes along the way, just like you and me. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a faithful man. So how can you and I keep the faith we can be like Moses? It is a lifetime of obedience to the Word of God. So as we live our lives, we should be drawing closer to God, becoming more like Him, not less like Him. John the Baptist in the New Testament tells us, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he says this about Jesus. He says, He must increase and I must decrease. That's the picture of our lives. As we grow and as we live in this life and as we walk in this world and as long as we're alive, our life should be about a lifetime of obedience to the Word of God. And I should be a better Christian today than I was 10 years ago. I should be a better husband today than I was 10 years ago. I should be a better father today than I was 10 years ago. I should be a better brother or sister in the body of Christ than I was 10 years ago. I should be moving closer to Him because I have committed myself to Jesus Christ and now I've committed myself to a lifestyle of obedience to His Word. See, unlike Moses who didn't have the written Word, we have the written Word. We have the canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We have the Word of God. It's right here for us. As a matter of fact, it's not just right here, man. We got cell phones. We got this stuff here. Man, I tell you what, I can take this with me in a deer stand. I used to have to take my Bible, and I was so afraid because it makes noise. And listen, I don't know if you can hear that, but I need all the help I can get when I'm in deer stand because I move a lot. I got ants in my pants, as my mom used to say. I mean, I just don't stop. And I'm, I try to minimize the noise as much as I can. So guess what? We have an invention. It's called technology. And we have these things. And is, is it the word? Is, is the Bible still the word of God if you read it off of something like this? Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I love my Bible. I'm still old school. I like it. And, and I like to have all of it and both of it down there. And, and so... But, but I like it. But I've got the Word of God at my fingertips. It's always with me. And if I don't have it on here, i got it on my phone. I've got it everywhere I go. But more than that, I should have it on my heart. Thy Word I have hid in my heart. Psalm 119, verse 19, I believe. Verse 119. No, verse, Psalm 119, verse 11. First verse I ever memorized. First, notice, <laughs> I'm getting better in my faith, but my memory is like... Psalm 119.11, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's a lifetime of obedience. That's how you keep the faith. It's not an option in our lives as Christians as to whether, we don't wake up every day as to whether or not today we're going to walk away from our faith. That's not what true Christians do. You see, when a true Christian goes through a fiery trial, God may be testing us in that, but my faith is not necessarily being tested, it's being proven. 
Yes, it may be designed by God as a testing of our faith. In other words, to test us, but it's also to prove us. It's what my faith was designed for, to go through hard times and difficulty and, ch- and challenges. And so Moses kept the Passover, and it began as a generational thing. Now, I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. Let me get to, to the second thing. Those who keep the faith, now listen to me, you may not, this may not be something you can tangibly grab onto, but listen to this. Trust the blood sacrifice of Christ. A person who keeps the faith has put their trust in the blood sacrifices of Christ. What are some of the old hymns? What, 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 what are they? There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the lamb there is power power one working power it's the blood of the lord jesus christ so as a christian i'm trusting that the pure blood of jesus and the sacrifice that he made and the blood that he shed on calvary's cross is more than enough to cleanse my sin See, I'm not trusting my good works. I'm trusting the blood sacrifice. Now, as you see in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 23, we read it earlier, but it, it's, it talks about how Moses summoned Israel, okay? And uh, go to the next verse here, verse 22. He says, take this hyssop and dip it into the blood. I'm, I'm not really sure. I haven't studied that recently. I'm not really sure what the... The, the concept of the hyssop, maybe it helped it stick to the, to the post, doorpost of the house. You know, it was like syrup. Dip it in blood, and when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you down. So the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest would go in to a place called the Holy of Holies. Before he went into the Holy of Holies, the outer court of the Holy of Holies, he would have to ceremoniously wash himself and go through a very detailed process in order for him to enter behind that curtain where the Spirit of God dwelt. And he would make a sacrifice, an atonement for the sins of the people annually, once a year. And it's funny, they had like a, like a little rope or a vine or something that was tied to the ankle of the high priest, just in case that joker didn't ceremoniously wash himself just right, and he walked into the presence of God without obeying God and doing the right thing, he would be instantly killed. The question is, who's going to go get that guy? Nobody, so they pull him out by the root. So the high priest, that's what he had to do. And there were multiple sacrifices in different ways that were made for different circumstances, but that was once a year that had to be done. A lamb that was without blemish was to be sacrificed. Here, we see the picture that in order for somebody to be saved, something has to die. 
blood has to be shed. The life of a being is in the blood. And so that's what they did. And when death came, instead of bringing death to the firstborn of that house, the death angels saw the blood on the doorpost of the house and knew that they were believers. And he passed over them and went to the next. And from that day forward, they've had this festival called the Passover and also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in the same way, guys, listen, in the same way, church, that's what Jesus does for us. See, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. And we don't have to do it yearly anymore. Because the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, was sacrificed for you and me on the cross. And He gave His life for you and me. So this is a picture of Jesus. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin. What does He see? He sees the precious blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. So I stand here today before you as a pastor. I'm not going to heaven because I'm some kind of holy guy, that I'm some kind of pastor, that, you know, so God looks upon me more favorably, favorably than he does someone else because I'm called to preach. As a matter of fact, I'm a sheep just like you. But what he does is he sees the blood of Jesus that has come upon me because I've received Christ as my Savior. I've come through the blood of Christ, and Christ is the one who cleanses me of my sin. I can't do it on my own. I don't have that kind of ability. The Bible says that my righteousness are as filthy rags before God. So the person who keeps the faith is a person who has true faith. And the only way you can have true faith is you've got to be washed in the blood. You have to come through Jesus Christ. You know, we're living in a day where people don't want to talk about that. I mean, on Facebook now, somebody kills a deer in there. If there's a little bit of blood, they block it. And it says this content is objectionable or something or may, may be objectionable to somebody, whatever it is. Click on here if you want to see it. I mean, it's bloody. But that's what it cost Jesus. Look at what the Bible says about Jesus, the Lamb of God. John 1.29 says this. Check this out. The next day, and I mentioned that earlier, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Ephesians 2, 13, what the Bible says here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And may I say this to you, while the high priest had to go once a year 
and sacrifice another lamb. Jesus was sacrificed once and for all for sin. And when he on the cross said, it is finished, he fulfilled the will of God. Never again should an animal have to be sacrificed ever again to wash the sins or to put the sins away of the people for one year, to put them in a closet somewhere for a year. But now because of Jesus, he has wiped out our sin. He has washed it away. He has put our sin as far as the east is from the west. How can you not live for a God for the rest of your life who's done that for you and me? And then Revelation 1, 4 through 6 says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, I love this, you know, Jesus, him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. While Israel had to have a priest go in once a year to the very presence of God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that I can enter into the Holy of Holies. That you and I, if we're Christians, we are priests before our God. And we only have one high priest between us and God, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm trying to tell you with this second point, it's, and I don't mean this in a, it's dripping with theological truth here, is that the only way for you and I to keep our faith is to have real faith and has to come through Jesus Christ. Any other way, you don't have real faith. You have to come through Jesus, just like in the Old Testament, they couldn't be spared unless the blood was on their doorpost. So, Moses kept the faith. He kept the faith. He kept the Passover. He followed the instructions of the shedding of the blood. And the blood was applied to them. And in the same way the blood is applied to us through the sacrifice of Christ. One last thing here I want you to see in keeping the faith. In Moses' example here. When we keep the faith, it has generational impact on our families. It has generational impact on our families. Man, oh man, oh man. Exodus 12, 14 says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Verses 24 through 28. I love this. Obey these instructions as, as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as He promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israel, of the Israelites in Egypt, and spared our homes when He struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So when your children ask you, 
See, if you have real faith and you're keeping the faith and your children ask you spiritual questions, you don't give them some kind of fairy tale answer. And can, can I just say to you, I'm appalled at so many parents who lie to their children. I really am. Who lie to them. And tell them some fairy tale about where this came from. Or they keep death and the reality of it from their children. Well, we can't tell so-and-so. We're going to say that Papa went on a vacation. What, he went on a forever vacation because he ain't coming back? Where's he at? I remember when I first realized death. In French, we called her grand-mère, meaning big mama. And it was the, the older generation. She was my great-grandmother. And I remember when she passed away. And I remember my mom and dad told me about it, and then they sent me to my cousin's house so they could go deal with that and help my grandmother and all of that. And I remember my cousin wanted to play and have fun and all of that because he was a cousin from the other side of the family. So it didn't matter to him. He didn't know who grown man was. But the entire afternoon, I was hurt. I was saddened. I didn't want to play no silly games. Somebody in my family had died, and it was the first time that I, I knew what death was. And I remember what happened. She had a stroke, and she fell in the bathroom, bathtub, and she hit her head on, on one of the fixtures, and it killed her immediately. She died right there. And my uncle found her the next morning. And I remember that as a kid going through my head. And it hurt. And it, it gave me some, some sense of reality. And it began, I think, a spiritual process in my heart. Because now all of a sudden, I realize that life wasn't just all fun and games. It wasn't just happy stuff. But people die. And it was affecting me as a kid. I remember that. And I think, and looking back on that, I always had a spiritual look in my heart and in my life. Even when I was living ungodly, I can remember that I was always concerned about where I would go when I would die. I always had this, this spiritual look, and I look back on that, and it could it be that maybe, you know, obviously God knew he was going to call me into the ministry, and God was preparing my mind and my heart. And I remember the impact it had on us. And so I say all that to say this to you. Too many families, when their children ask them questions about real things in life, the parents think that the, children, the child can't handle it. And there are certain aspects they're not mature enough yet to fully grasp. But I tell you what, I think you and I are missing great opportunities when our children ask us questions about why certain things happen. And it is our responsibility not to give them some fairy tale answer, but to give them the truth of God's Word. So they can start learning early on as children this is what god says now whether or not they live for god when they get older that's going to be on them but at least you're giving them the truth early on i'll never forget when my kids were little marcy you may remember this you may not i don't know if this happened with you but i know it happened with the two older ones we were in the oaks mall one day And I was holding their hand. We were walking, and right in front of us, two college students, two men stopped. They were holding hands, and they started kissing. 
And my son looked at me and said, Daddy, why is that man kissing that other man? I said, sit your butt down right here. We are going to have a talk about this. Right there at the Oaks Mall in front of Belks, we sat down on one of them benches, and there were several old men who were just like, oh, I'm just here because my wife's here. I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, let me tell you something, boy. Here's what the Bible says. Well, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing it because they're lost, and it's not right, and it's immoral, and it's unnatural. And here's what the Bible says about it. And I didn't have a phone that had had it on there but i had it in my heart i gave him romans chapter one i gave him a message and i started telling him exactly what it means and why and i said now we don't mistreat all of those folks i don't go walk up to them and get in their face that's not my responsibility and that's not the way we treat people we're to be kind and but we're to speak the truth in love and all of that and i don't have a reason to go there and point that out to him that's not my place or my business however I didn't just say, oh, well, they're just brothers that love each other. No. No, I didn't say that. I told them the truth. You may disagree with that. But according to Scripture here, when you enter the land, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Well, you see that little bitty lamb over there? We take that lamb. See how pretty that lamb is and how, how perfect he looks? And what we do is we cut its throat. And that white um, wool on him <laughs> turns to red blood. And we took that blood from that living, breathing animal and we took it and we dipped it in hyssop and we put it all over the doorpost and some of us it wasn't just enough of the door we put it on the roof we put it everywhere i mean if i were living that's what i'd have done i'd be like make sure we don't miss nothing <laughs> i don't want just a little bit of blood i want it all like peter when jesus was trying to wash his feet and peter said no 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 you don't wash my feet i gotta wash your feet and and peter said uh, uh, Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have no part in me. And then, and then Peter said, oh, well, wash all of me then. <laughs> so, yeah, you tell them the truth about the blood and what happened that, that because of Pharaoh's disobedience, because he was hurting the people of God, because he was not listening to the man of God in Moses, that God brought some insignificant plagues which were pretty pretty significant to them but compared to losing a child it was insignificant frogs and locusts and all kinds of stuff and pharaoh wouldn't listen so the only thing he would listen to would be the death of his son and so whoever didn't have the blood over their houses their kids died their firstborn they didn't tell him any fairy tale god said you tell them the truth and it will have a generational impact on your family. Again, I can't tell you how my kids and grandchildren are going to live if they're going to all adopt the faith as far as grandchildren going forward or any of that. But I'm telling you what, as long as this cat's alive here, I'm going to give them a reason to think about the faith of their father and grandfather.
And I truly believe this. When you keep the faith, it has generational impact on your family. At Brother Bowles' funeral, his great, it's either his great or his great-great-grandson. He saw, oh, it could be his great-great-great-great-grandson. But I don't know. No, I think it was his great-grandson got up and spoke about his grandfather. And I, I remember when we came last week, we came to the cemetery over here, and it wasn't just elderly people there. As a matter of fact, there was a ton of young people part of his family. And that, was, that surprised me. And I talked to that grandson after and told him that his words were amazing and his grandfather would be proud of him. And he said, you know, he said, Pastor Corey, a lot of our family, a lot of us in the younger generation, we follow the faith of our grandfather. It has an impact. How you live, how I live, has a trickle-down effect. They're watching. They're listening. We need to tell them the truth about our God. Now, I know this is controversial. Um, but it's where I'm at. And I don't judge you if you do something different, but I'm going to just tell you my conviction on this. We never taught our children. I'm looking around here first. Just any of them that would believe that or not here. I don't want to do something for you and your family. We never taught our children about, we do have a little one. Where? Okay, I'm looking about Santa Claus. Now, we did teach them about this dude named St. Nick and that where the legend comes from and all the good that it has. So I get that. I get that. But we didn't teach about some overweight guy coming down through a chimney that we didn't have. And I'll tell you why. We didn't teach them about the Easter Bunny or the tooth fairy. And I'll tell you why. You say, why? Because I didn't want them, when they got to a certain age, to say, well, you know, if all of those things were not true, then obviously all the stories of the Old Testament and everything my parents taught me about God falls into the same category. I didn't. That's just us. Now, I don't down you if you do the opposite. That's between you and God. You have to answer for that. And, and you, you know, you have to do what you do for your own family. And I get that. And some of you, you taught your kids about some of that stuff. And guess what? They are godly Christians today. So I'm not saying that it's all negative. But I would just rather go with the truth. Don't want to lie to my kids. Don't plan on lying to them. Have never done it. Now they've lied to me. And I've lied to my mom and daddy. I got the kids together a while back. It's been several years, but I asked them, I think it was at Thanksgiving, who moved the TV tray? You remember that, Marcy? All three of my kids were in my bed watching TV, and there was a TV tray there, and somebody moved it. Because it was there when I left the room, and when I came back, it was moved. It was gone. 
It was no big deal. I was just asking who because I had something on it and needed to stay there. And I asked them, and to this day, I don't know who did it. <laughs> They're not doing it. They, now, I, I, I know who I think it is. I think I know who it is, but I can't prove it. And Marcy and them have, Marcy and them have never told me, but they, well, they, I think you threw him under the bus, right, Marcy? You threw Micah under the bus, didn't you? Tommy's over there pointing at Marcy over there. <laughs> well, I think it was Micah, but Micah to this day swears, oh, no, uh-uh, 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 wasn't me. I think Micah believes that now. I think he believes it was Andrea. I sat him down when I was trying to get, to, I said, I'm not trying to whoop nobody, but I said, if you keep lying to me, all three of you are going to get a whooping. I got punished them all. And then I realized, well, why should I punish the other two? But I said, you know what? They're holding out. They're going to flip or else. They still haven't flipped. I think Marcy did, but. That's right. That's right. Thanksgiving, we're going to settle this issue. And none of them will come because of COVID, watch. So anyway, um, so in keeping the faith, as I wrap this up, so Moses, he obeyed God's word. He trusted the blood. And that's what we have to do today. I have to trust the blood of Jesus, that it's, it's effectual. It has effect to wash my sins away. And I have to always keep in mind in keeping my faith that it has great generational impact to those who follow. And so part of my life today is not just living for me to get through the moment or to live for today or to get through the task that God has for me. Part of my life is to try to blaze a trail and leave a trail of faith that others in my family can follow. And to this day, Jewish families still celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread because of one man's obedience. That's how important it is to you and to me. Keeping the faith. Finish well. I read a book um, years ago by Dr. Charles Stanley. And if you want to read some books, go read any of his books. They're really awesome. But I think the book that I got the most out of was uh, Strength for My Journey. Basically told the story of his life. And one of his core principles is to finish well. So many start off strong and fizzle out like a bad bottle rocket. And they just fizzle out. But there are many who stay strong until the end. Brother Bowles, 107 years old, he, he couldn't preached the last year or two of his life but let me tell you he preached until he was about 105 was the last 
sermon he ever preached. But let me tell you, at 107, he was as strong spiritually than he's ever been, than he ever was. He finished. He kept the faith. You and I can do the same thing. No matter where your journey of faith started, that's not the issue. The issue now is what are you going to do with it and how are you going to finish? Finish well, my friends. Would you stand with me? Now, Heavenly Father, I can preach that. But I'm still trying to live it. And so I pray for myself that you would help me to finish this race. To fight the good fight. To keep the faith. Thank you for Moses who did. And if Moses did, we know we can too. Because we're going to learn about Moses, how he was a man who didn't want to speak. He didn't want to go out and be in front of the whole nation. But you chose him. He obeyed. He finished well. And generations followed his faithful testimony. I pray that for us today. God, help us with that. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you today, folks, listen, do you want to come to this altar in just a moment and pray and ask God not only to help you deal with what you're going through, but to put you on a path to keep the faith strong and courageous until your last breath. That's where I'm at today. While people are losing their minds, their values, everything in this world that we live in today, true Christians are staying with their hand to the plow and they're keeping their faith. They're not letting the times change them. Only the Word of God change them for good. You let the Lord lead you this morning. And if you've never received Christ, I'm telling you, church, going to church, that's not being washed in the blood. Going to church is good, but it won't save you. You have to have a personal relationship with Christ. You must acknowledge your sin. Just like each home had to have the blood painted on the doorpost. You must have the blood poured upon your heart personally. The only way you can do that is by personally receiving Christ. To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. I'll be standing here if you need help with any of that. This, this altar is open for you. This is serious, folks. I'm a serious pastor when it comes to these things. And I don't apologize for calling you and me to keep the faith. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.